Welcome, Redeemed Church, family and friends. I may sound a little bit different. I've been uh, taking voice lessons. I'm trying to sound somewhere between Billy Graham and Johnny Cash. It's a new uh, course I'm taking. It's called Sore Throat. Don't worry, my wife has tested me three times in the last day, and I do not have COVID or a temperature, just a good old-fashioned sore throat. Isn't it crazy, though? I mean, a couple years ago, you'd have a little sore throat or a cough. It meant nothing. And now I'm actually, I have to pause, take my pulse. I'm, I'm almost terrified. Or, and when people cough around me at the grocery store, can I tell you, I am doing like about a 4, 6, 40. I'm getting away from folks. We live in such a tense time right now, all the way from COVID things to racial tension to political unrest. It's a pretty like inflamed, almost volatile time to be alive. And so when we see this passage today, because Jesus is going to say, I'd like to talk to you. Now that I've talked to you about the Beatitudes, now that I've talked to you about the things that are really important, the things that make life happen, you know, in terms of making sure that you practice certain truths, uh, uh, then we got to learn about the power of fasting. And today he's going to say, now I want to talk to you about anxiety. And I just think it's fascinating. So if you were sitting there during the Sermon on the Mount, I mean, it's three chapters. So first of all, let me ask you this. When's the last time you even read the Sermon on the Mount? All three chapters. You just read it. Because it is life-changing if you do. Now, can you imagine? Can you just put yourself in a moment uh, sitting outside on a hillside somewhere uh, on this thing called the Mount, and you're listening to an individual talking as loud as you can so everybody can hear and he's telling them this is how you flip everything. That's what he really did. And so today, I really believe that if we would just read it, it would uh, begin that process of transforming us. But if we aligned our lives to what it says, I guarantee you right now, regardless of COVID, the racial tensions, the civil unrest, the political problems, I guarantee you it would not be as volatile as it is. We would actually be coming together to solve problems if we lived the Beatitudes. If we took time to do what Kurt said and said, make them our norms. I loved his, his message. If you haven't heard it, go back when he was talking about uh, also the, the practices. And so he said what we need to be able to do is implement certain things in our life that they become practices to prepare us for game day. And he, so he said that was giving to the needy, the disadvantaged, being empathetic. He said that that was actually having a prayer life. And then last week, Liz just hit a home run on the power of fasting as a way of running cheerfully to the heart of God, as a way of literally uh, taking on those things in our lives that are counterproductive and laying them down for the things that will uh, enable us to grow spiritually. If we practice these things, our society would be very different. And yet at the same time, if we don't, then we're going to get more of what we've got. And there's no one, you know, no wonder that it's anxious. There's no wonder that the Lord had to talk about anxiety back then because they're sitting down thinking, how will I ever do that? But it's as timely as it is for today. The world needs to know how to make decisions based upon godliness instead of fear. And that's what you're going to really see today. I want to acknowledge that what Jesus was doing is that he wasn't talking to this group on the mount saying, uh, this is, these are insights. This is a, a, the first ever TED Talk to give you hope. This is a way to hide from the bad parts of reality. He was actually saying, I'm not interested in you walking through life untainted. I'm interested in you 
transforming the life that you're walking through. That's what he was telling them. That's, it's literally, it is a flip. And we need to make sure that we see that because I've been in the ministry now for almost like 40 years. And what I've seen in the terms of ministry, most of what we call it is trying to create a safe haven for people to you know, be unstained by the difficulties of the world. And when I'm reading this, Sermon on the Mount, it's not that. We, we must flip it. It's all about understanding what it takes to be transformed and to be an agent of transformation. And so it's not like I just want to hide and wait for things to get better so that Jesus can come back and rescue me and take me to heaven. No, it's bring heaven to earth now. And then he even told him that's how you're supposed to pray. Pray that you will be the person that brings heaven. And so if I'm one of those guys sitting on a hill, I'm feeling a little anxious. So he says, okay, a little time out. You've heard how, how amazing it is in terms of what I'm flipping. Now we're just going to go through another door. And this new door is going to call, it's called a door of faith. And in this place of faith, it's going to deal with your anxiety. And so that's today's message. And I want you to um, look at it with me. It's in Matthew chapter 6. We're looking at verses 25 to 34. And I'm reading now the New American Standard Bible. I invite you to read along with me. But it says, for this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you by being worried can add a single hour to your life. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field glow, grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith, do not worry then, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you do need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What an amazing passage. If you want to uh, get rid of anxiety, then the Lord's going to tell you exactly how to do it. He's going to say, you need to first seek his kingdom and then seek his righteousness. If you do that, if you have the faith for that thing, then everything else gets put in its proper place. And so I'm, I'm going to give you a warning because, again, we could read through these words and it could kind of hit at the surface. We could think, oh, you know, those are nice insights. What's another podcast I can listen to? It's, I, I don't want you to do that. I want you to literally dive into what the Lord says about anxiety. Do we or do we not live in one of the most anxious moments of history? In fact, what I hear churches teaching a lot recently is we must be in the end times. We must be in the end times because people feel the tensions. It's really volatile. And so the answer to anxiety isn't looking to a future in terms of just coming and being rescued. The, uh, the answer to anxiety, according to this word, is faith. 
According to what Jesus says, oh, you have a little faith. If you had enough faith, you wouldn't have to be anxious. So then he's going to say, let me tell you how to recalibrate the faith you have. Last week, we were at uh, the beach with, the fam- with our family. It was so fun until uh, I got uh, sand in my shoes. So we're down at the beach, and I had the sandals on. You get sand in there, and, and it's just it's amazing to me what a little bit of sand can do. So then I take my shoes off, and I'm fine. You just got to enjoy the sand. Then I put my hands in my pockets later on that day, and there's sand and grit in my pockets. And then it's like that sand was so annoying. Just a few little grains of sand really mess everything up. And what I'd like to say to you is that the opposite can be true. Just a little bit of faith can make everything right. Friends, it doesn't take the whole ocean. It doesn't take the whole beach. It just takes a little bit of sand to disrupt your day. Can I also tell you that it just takes a little seed of faith to make your day? That's what Jesus is wanting us to understand. So I'm not saying that you have to go out there and become a king of faith. I'm saying look to faith for our answers because you're going to find in this last verse that every day is going to have enough trouble of its own, but no trouble can resist or overpower the faith that God has given us to be able to lean into. So here's a formula that I want to give you. It's going to say that you're going to have to learn how to bring faith to our areas of life where there's anxiety. So that's going to be mission critical. If we go back to Matthew chapter 6 for a moment, when he begins with, for this reason, I say to you, we have to be good theologians, and we've got to go back and say, what is for this reason? And if you go back to the preceding verses, it's pretty strong. The for this reason had to do with the fact that you cannot serve God and mammon. So he's saying, if you really want to get anxious, if you really want to get messed up, if you really want to lose your faith card that gets you out of jail, then just start serving mammon. Or another word for mammon, of course, is wealth. So Jesus is saying, for those of you who are trying to serve God and mammon, you are automatically going down the path of anxiety. Isn't that fascinating? And and I think that what we need to do is we need to do a quick cost-benefit analysis in our life. Do we place, really, our strength, our convictions on the faith, on the loyalty of God, on the truth of God, on the eternal natures of God, or are we seeking something less? And so if we pull into this almost like prosperity gospel, and for those of you uh, who have been burned by the prosperity gospel, for those of you who are uh, seekers and you turn on uh, a church event, and you see it all about money and pray this, name it, claim it stuff, and you've been turned off. I really, I I apologize on behalf of uh, somebody uh, who's been a part of of churches that, you know, we can make mistakes. We can go down the line. It doesn't mean that everything's wrong, but there has been some correction needed. The body of Christ has gone through these things where we say, hey, we want you to live the American dream, so become a Christian. It's not about living the American dream. It's about giving your life to God. It's about being able to walk in eternal truths and being transformed and transforming the world, not trying to get more out of it. And so again, I'm asking you to stay with me. Think through maybe even some of the perspectives that we've put out that might keep you from hearing what God is saying. So right now, what we know Jesus said is you cannot, let's not mess it up, you cannot serve God and mammon. And if you do, you will end up in a place of anxiety. That, that's just it. So what I want to say to you, here's a formula. If you're seeking God, 
So let's say you're God-seeking. As soon as you say, I'm seeking God and wealth, or I'm seeking wealth and God, or I'm seeking wealth and self and God, as soon as you put wealth or self in it, then what you're doing is you're going down the road of anxiety. You've literally cut a hole in your bag to where now anxiety gets to leak the stuff out that you're seeking of God. It's like having a multiplication table, and if you multiply by zero, what do you get? You get zero. So anytime you say, I'm seeking God, and then you add the other thing on, whether it's wealth or self, you are multiplying by zero according to what Jesus is saying. You cannot serve God and mammon. So I'm just, I'm just laying it out there. I told you this is transformational stuff. This isn't surface level fun stuff. But I want you to be able to come to a place where anxiety's not at it. So do right now, take a cost benefit analysis. Go get some paper. I'll give you a few seconds. We're going to do a T-bar. On one side of it, I want you to write down the things that you're anxious about. On the other side, I want you to write down the things that you believe God is most interested in. And if we can just move from the things that you're anxious about to the things that God are most interested in, you'll see the power of this message. This message is God saying, when you seek me first, everything on your anxious list will be taken care of. He guarantees it. And that's where we place our faith. So that's the conclusion of the message. But we've got to slow down a little bit to get there. So what I'm going to suggest is that what the world has to offer is things of the world. And what the flesh has to offer is self-preservation. And I'm suggesting that both of those things should cause us anxiety. I mean, look, friends, the flesh is going to win. We're getting older every moment. I mean, how many facelifts are going to take care of wrinkles? At some point, it just doesn't work. Or how much money can we try to use to be able to ensure that we won't have a hardship? It doesn't work. And so you can't rest in the things of the world and you can't put your focus on the flesh without heading down the road to anxiety. So if we agree with that, let's just move that aside. Again, make, put it on your list, but put God first and let him take care of the other things. And by the way, the wrinkles and the money aren't going to be on the top of his list. It's just that he's eternal. He's not worried about those things. All right, so what we're going to do is we're going to learn today that if we want to be able to experience a life of fulfillment, then we're going to have to move forward in faith. So faith is the success to the Christian walk. It's not wealth. Wealth equals zero. It's faith. How do we increase our faith? We increase our faith by drawing closer to the very heart of God. What's God telling us in the Sermon on the Mount? This is how you get to my heart. This is how I get to yours. So that's what it is. It's a heart conversation. And now he's just going to lay it out because he wants to make it real simple. He said, don't worry about this. Don't worry about that. But each time he has said, can't you see how I take care of all these little things? I, I take care of birds. I take care of the grass. I take care of food, clothing. I take care of your sense of identity and belonging. I will be your heavenly father. Let me take care of that. But I need you to do two things so that I can. Because if we don't do these two things, then what's happening is the very nature of God is that he's moving in our hearts by faith. So if we're doing it ourselves out of lack of faith, then he's going to wait. So the very things that are the answer are on hold. We don't want to put God on pause because we don't have faith. Instead, we want to have faith so that God activates the things that we need. And here's the two things that he's willing to activate. First of all, it says, seek his kingdom. 
that it's going to say, and his righteousness. So I just want to unpack his kingdom a little bit. So we know, first of all, we've got to be willing to seek his kingdom. What is his kingdom? His kingdom is those things of a forever nature. Whether it's truth, whether it's love, whether it's grace, whether it is that ability to truly be in community with God right now, as opposed to waiting till later, that's his kingdom. His kingdom is where he prevails versus what the world has to offer. And the beauty of it is, is that his kingdom trumps what the world has to offer every time. So his kingdom, even though it's, it's more than what the world can offer, his kingdom is actually the very things that the world cannot compete against. So I'm asking you right now to just to, to think of the forever kingdom things that are, are going to carry us through life on planet crazy. Some of those kingdom things really are true. Some of those kingdom things are the fact that you know deep in your heart that there's a forever nature. We know right now that eternity exists. We just don't always know how to access it. His kingdom is activating eternity. It's, it's coming to that place where the things that are forever become at the forefront of our lives right now. We don't have to wait to find out if the kingdom's real. We get to carry the kingdom into our own realities. That's how it's supposed to work. And so I want you to remember that the kingdom isn't something that comes later. The kingdom is something that we carry. Again, eternal truths. It's this forever love. It is a grace that literally transforms our life. He knows we're broken vessels. We're going to get that in seeking his righteousness. But his grace is sufficient to not only heal us, but to bring the kingdom life and truth and love to others as we're being healed. That's the path he's calling us to. And that's the transformational life. So don't settle for less in his kingdom. And it was interesting last week when uh, Kurt asked me if I would preach on this passage and we were talking about it. He had looked up in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, and it was interesting because he said, I noticed that when Jesus, after he was raised from the dead, he spent 40 days working with his disciples. And it was interesting when he said, I saw what Jesus was really teaching them about. And I just want to read uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 3 to you as uh, Kurt read it to me last week. It says, to these he also presented himself alive. You want to talk about kingdom life, bam. Anyway, after his suffering, by many convincing proofs, appearing to them for over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. He came back and said, hey, disciples, look, I don't want to tell you how, you know, how to live, all these different things. He's just saying kingdom, kingdom, be focused on the kingdom. And what I want us to recognize is that our disciples, because I went on and read it, if you read in six days, they go, oh, this is such good stuff, Jesus. When are you coming back and really putting us uh, on the top of the food chain? And he said, no, no, that's not it. What you need to know is that you get to carry my kingdom first in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, then to all parts of the world. You are the carriers of the kingdom. And oh, by the way, I'm going to put my spirit and my power in you so that you can. I'll tell you why most of us get anxious. I'm just shooting straight with you, friends. It's because we're not sensing the power of the Holy Spirit bringing kingdom life to our situations. We're being more impacted by our communities than impacting our communities. And Jesus flips it. 
We are the salt. We are the light. We bring it. He gives it. We bring it. That's kingdom life. Let's focus on what we can bring instead of how other people treat us. Let's be the Beatitudes and give God a chance to activate his kingdom. All right, I'm, I'm getting a little bit riled, so I'm moving to the next point. Seek first his kingdom and then his righteousness. I have fought with this in the best sense of the word all my life. Because in most of my life, I've wanted to do the right things. And I admit there's some part of me that wants to do some not so right things too. But when it comes right down to it, I want to do what's right. I really do. And so I've worked very hard in my life of trying to be a right acting person. What's interesting here is it says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So it's not my rightness. It's not my acts of doing the right things that he's telling me to seek. He didn't say, go, hey, Marty, I need you to go and act right. He said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Can I tell you what his righteousness is? His righteousness is his willingness to give away his very own life for those who need it. It's, it's saying that if you have faith that there's more, if you have a desire to be able to know me and to love me, then I will give you the righteousness you need to come to know me. You're not going to have to earn it. You're not going to have to go do a bunch of things to uh, make me love you well enough to show myself to you or to earn my favor. I'm just going to give you my favor. I'm going to trust that if you will literally receive my righteousness so that you can feel that you are right before me because you've been forgiven and loved by me. If that's enough for you, then we can really begin an amazing relationship. And so it is his righteousness. For those of us who are trying our hardest to make God love us more, I'm saying get off that track. Just get off. You can't do, you can't do anything, nor can I, to make God love us any more than he already does because he laid down his life for us. What more do you expect him to do, right? So if we get off of that, just like if you get off of anxiety and move towards faith, if you get off your own righteousness and receive his, you're actually in a great place. And I want to recommend that you uh, see God as your father. And Kurt talked on this as well. And we've had some really good messages through this. And he said, for some of us, we struggle with uh, trusting God as our father. And, and, you know, my father died when I was 14, and it really left a hole in my life. Uh, I'm so grateful I have a stepdad, and dad, I love you, you know I do. And had you not been there to fill in some of the gaps, I wonder, you know, what kind of a father and person I'd be this day. Uh, but it, it can be hard when, when, when we're looking to a father figure uh, to be able to really place our faith in. God says, that's how I, how I want to have you receive me. I want you to see me as your father. And we're going to have to come to a place that we recognize that fathers, the best fathers, are those who give our lives to our children, not because they deserve it. It's because we love to give our life to them. And that's who he is. He's not making us deserve things. He's not making us prove ourselves. He's saying, you know what good fathers do? They just love to give their lives away to their kids. And that's who he is. And if you can hang on to that, then I want to ask you to be willing to read a book called Search for Significance. And, uh, or at least go and do a study on it. But if in this book of Search for Significance, 
Search for Significance by Dr. Robert Mickey, he's going to hit on four false beliefs that most of us wrestle with. And those four false beliefs are, number one is that I have to meet the approval of others to find value in my own life. I have to meet the approval and even of like certain others to feel good about myself. The second is I have to accomplish or achieve certain things to be able to feel successful. The third one is I am who I am and I cannot change. And the fourth false belief, and again, remember, these are false beliefs, is if I fail, I deserve to be punished. I'm convinced that we need to get off of those sound bites. We've all heard them too much. They've been demonstrated time after time, and they're not what it means to be able to rely on the righteousness, the goodness, and the love of the Father towards us. In fact, what I would say is that with Jesus, he gives us his righteousness, and that means that he he approves of us, so we are as good as it gets. He accomplished what we couldn't do and gave it to us, and he changes us from the inside out even when we can't change ourselves. And oh, by the way, if we fail, he says, great, practice session, let's get ready for game day, try it again. That's who he is, that's how it really works. So his kingdom and his righteousness are transforming, and we need to be able to lean into that. And then if you want to just go do something right because you feel loved by him, then here's what I suggest you do. You do. Just go do the right things he did. If he said the Beatitudes are right, then we know I'm going to try. Just start doing what the Beatitudes, let's just be the Beatitudes. And watch how that up opens the door for kingdom life for those that we interact with. So I'm going to conclude with verse 34. I know at the beginning I said I was reading 25 through 34 and I only read 25 through 33, because 34 is not a happy verse. And so it starts off with, for this reason, a little, you know, digging in there, but he's going to end with a hard verse that's only hard if we didn't believe what he said in these other verses that, again, he's the good father. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 34. So do not worry about tomorrow. That sounds good, right? For tomorrow will take care of itself, okay? Here's the hard part. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus is saying, I'm not taking you out of trouble. I'm letting you walk right in the middle of trouble. In fact, don't even worry about it because it's coming. I'm not rescuing you from hardship. I'm allowing you to walk into hardship and turn it into kingdom life. That's what he's saying. And don't worry about whether or not you're good enough. Don't worry about whether or not I care enough about you in the middle of it. Just go do it. And if that's not good enough, he gives us an amazing passage in the Old Testament from a prophet who did it. And I just want to read Habakkuk 3, 17 to 18. I, I committed this to memory for about two years of my life because I needed to make sure that I believed it. Uh, but here is our guarantee. You know, in the world, we try to have insurance so that if you are unhealthy, you have something or we try to protect our wealth, whether it's stock markets, and then you have to do hedge funds and all these things that we try to plan for that you never can account for because whatever you do to try to protect yourself, something unravels, right? Here's God's insurance verse. And trust me, friends, it works because I've had it uh, evidenced in my own life and it's led me to victory every time. And so it's a trump card insurance verse for never having anxiety again. And I'm going to read it with you. It's Habakkuk 3, 17 to 18. It says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, 
and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olives should fail and the fields produce zero food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he has made my feet like hinds feet, and he makes me walk on high places. Can you hear me preaching this Saturday night? Because I'm going to be fired up. This is true. This is how it really works. It doesn't matter if everything falls apart. He will cause my feet to be able to soar to the tops of the mountains and rise above. He will be my strength when there's no strength around me, not even in my own life. No figs, no olives, no sheep, no cattle. It doesn't matter. Strength is in me through Christ, for he is my salvation. Friends, if if he is your God, if he lives in you, the power is that we have the kingdom and the love of God in our lives to access. So when anxiety comes and knocks on your door, remember as bad as what the world can be, it can't take your salvation. It can't take your strength. It can't take your hope. It can't take the things that are really true from God. Lean into that. I'm more concerned about people who don't know this truth than I am about the things that may happen in my own life. So when I start feeling anxious, am I saved? Yes. Am I loved? Yes. Is strength within me if I can reach in and be reminded of the areas where I really have faith? Yes. I'm, I'm just concerned that in the middle of a very volatile world, I, got, I want you to do some homework for me. In the middle of all this stuff that's going on right now, would you go look and see if hair loss clinics are prospering or not? Yeah, because I, I have a feeling that people are more concerned about hair loss than the loss of souls. I mean, they're probably thriving and the church is declining. And so I, I'm not pretending this is serious stuff. I want to be concerned about the things that really matter. And when I'm concerned about the things that really matter, then I'm able to access the answers that God has for our people who need him. Friends, we don't need hair replacement. We don't need surface level fixes. We need salvation. We need strength in the middle of hardships because hardship's here and it's not going away. We don't need to be pining away, waiting for God to come and to try to keep us unstained by a messed up world. We need to be transforming it. So that's the power of what we're talking about. And so why uh, do I want to see my family and my friends come to know the Lord? Because I want you to have that strength. Believers, let's be that strength. And then for those uh, who are in our church family, uh, I want to remind you that we're in life groups right now. We get to re- uh, Commit to life groups this week. We're starting all over again. And what an exciting opportunity it is to come back together after the break of summer. But be in a life group. Come and learn to practice these truths. Be encouraged uh, by seeing your body grow together. And then I just want to add one more note. We're getting ready. Uh, we finally possibly have you know, been looking for a building to put a church in. And I want to tell you that just like uh, the outside things aren't the answer, it is really nice according to this passage, that if you seek first God in his kingdom, everything else is added. Hey, redeem. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it good? Because God has prepared us for his kingdom. We've been walking in his righteousness. And now it looks to me like he's going to give us a building to inhabit because he's done such a deep work in us. We're ready for the building. How cool is that? Well, we're going to hear more about it, but it's exciting. 
Again, Redeem, thank you for who you are. Let's grow together because we are better together. Bless you.